Grateful to God that you're here today. We welcome you, and we're in a study in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, chapter 2 is our text today. We'll look at verses 1 through 5, and as you're turning there in your copy of God's Word, let me also just add a word of greeting to you. I know that many of you are guests, first-time guests in our church, and we're grateful to God that you're here in your um, worship guides. There's a few um, slips of paper there, and all of them are important, but this one is especially important to me. For you, if you would take a moment, fill that out. And uh, you can do a couple things with it. You can put it in the offering plate today. In a few minutes when the offering is, is taken up, you can put it in there. Or you can bring it to me in the back, and we would love to meet you and give you one of the books that we've written. And I uh, just want to take a moment to say thank you for being here. And thank you, Great Hills Radiant Church. Thank you for inviting your friends and your neighbors. And because you do that, many people take you up on your invitation, take me up on my invitation and they've decided to come today. And so just know that we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here. God has ordained it that you would be here on this day and, and be in the presence of God and be with his people and also to hear uh, this message. This message, I've been so excited as I've been studying it since Monday, I've been praying this prayer that God would speak to you and that God would give you prosperity. He would give you fulfillment he would give you joy. He would meet every need that you have according to his riches and glory and that he would empower you to be the woman of God that he's called you to be, that he would call you to be the, the student of God that he's called you to be and the man of God that he's called you to be. Now, I know that not all of us are called to prodigious, amazing feats or tasks like rebuilding a wall a perimeter around the ancient city of Jerusalem. Now, that was Nehemiah's task, and God tasked him for that. And he was a layman. He was dutifully employed by the king of Persia at that time. And, and I tell you, God spoke to him, and Nehemiah rose up and accomplished great things for God. No, you may not be called to do that. You may not be called to pastor a church. You may not be called to be a president of a corporation. You may not be called to, uh, to any really leadership position that you would think, oh, well, that's really important, that's prominent. But listen to me carefully. And I've been praying this prayer for you all week, that you would understand that God does have something for you, that God has something very important for you. Listen to this, that he wants you to do and only you can do. And you may not have that nomenclature or that title of CEO or president or whatever, but what God has called you to do is equally important. And I want you to be energized I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be mobilized today that the same God who spoke then is the same God that speaks today, and he has something that he wants you to do that only you can do. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, I enjoy reading his material. He says this, one person can make a big difference in this world if that person knows God and really trusts in him because faith makes a difference, and we can make a difference in our world to the glory of God. So today we're going to look at Nehemiah. If you're just joining us in this study, we're only in chapter 2. You've only missed a couple of messages, and so we welcome you. We invite you to come right in and join us in our study. I'm going to ask you some questions today. And there's one main question in verse 4 that really is the title of the sermon today. And the title is, what do you want? What do you want? You know, that's a great question to ask, especially someone who's upset. If you ever find somebody and they're upset or they're complaining or they're worried, just ask them, what do you really want? And it helps them clarify. It helps them kind of get out of the, the fog that they are in. And so the king is going to ask Nehemiah, what is your request? What would you 
like for me to do? And so I'm going to ask you some questions today, and they're going to be rhetorical questions, and, and that means they cannot really be answered with a yes or a no only. It makes you think, it makes you grapple with these issues, and I can't wait to ask you some of these questions based on our text in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now remember, he's a layman. He is in the court of the king. Nehemiah works for a man by the name of Artaxerxes. He is, let me tell you guys, he is large and in charge. He is the most powerful monarch, the ruling, reigning leader in all the known world. He reigns over the Medes and the Persians. It's also known as the Medo-Persian Empire. At around 539, one of his predecessors comes in by the name of Cyrus, and they come in, and they take the Babylonian Empire and bring it to themselves. And they are, they are in charge now. They are the Medes and the Persians. In 586, the nation of Jerusalem is sacked. It is fallen. The, the wall crumbles. The temple is burned into the ground. And the people of God are deported out of Jerusalem, and they make their way over to a foreign land, just like Jeremiah prophesied. And for 70 years... They're going to be in a desert. They're going to be in what's known as the Babylonian captivity. But in 539, the Babylonians go off of the world scene. You ever notice that? Leaders come and leaders go. Kingdoms rise, nations rise, and they fall. But God stays the same. God reigns. He rules. He's the heavenly despot. He's the reigning monarch, and it is God's, it is God's will that, that he prospers and that he's on forever and ever. But the kingdoms of mankind, they rise and they fall. Well, and now it's time for the Medes and the Persians to be on the world scene. Cyrus says, I'm going to let you people go. I'm going to let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. And so they began this, uh, this reverse deportation. They go back from captivity, and they make their way to Jerusalem. First is a man by the name of Zerubbabel. He goes... In about 537, then following him is a man by the name of Ezra. A whole book is named after Ezra, the scribe, the priest. He goes back in 458, and then comes our man, Nehemiah, 444 B.C. He's working for a man by the name of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes rules from about 465 to 424 B.C. Now, that's a lengthy reign, okay? And he, Nehemiah, is a cupbearer, which means he takes the wine, he drinks the wine, and if he doesn't die, he gives the wine to the king. How would you like to have that job? Wouldn't that be a blessing? You know, just say, kill me first, and long live the king. And that, that was his job. But it's interesting that it was a prestigious job. It was a job where the king and his loyal subject developed a, almost a familial kind of relationship, a, a close-knit relationship. And you'll see this as it evolves, as it unveils before our eyes. So let, let's read the text. We're in chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, there he is, King Artaxerxes. This would be about 445, 444 B.C. Remember, he begins reigning in 465, 464. Came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, 464, of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. That I took the wine. Now, that's what a cupbearer does, right? He takes the wine. He's already sipped it. He's already drank it. And then he gives it over to the king. Nehemiah says, now, I have never been sad in the presence of the king before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face so sad? Since you are not sick, Nehemiah, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. 
and Nehemiah being very honest and just being very transparent with us, the reader today, he said, I was very much afraid. I was dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. And why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? And then the king said to me, what do you want? That's the title of the whole message today. What do you want? There comes times in our lives that question's going to be posed to us, and what we do next is going to be very revealing about the woman or the man or the student that we are. And the king asked Nehemiah, what do you request? And I love the next part. Nehemiah said, and I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that. It almost has a comedic kind of ring to it. He's just like, he's standing in the presence of the king. Now, he didn't say, hold on just a second, Artaxerxes. Our father, I thank you so much for this day, and I'm so glad to be here. No, he didn't do any of that, or the king would not have tolerated that. But there, this is called these short, staccato, uh, missive prayers that just go up to God real quickly, like, God, please help me with what I'm about to say. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, and here's his request, that I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have preserved it for us. That, Lord, we can take it, we can read it. And, God, there's something absolutely majestic and supernatural whenever we as your people read your word, your holy word, and we ask you in this dynamic moment, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. And Lord, I do pray for every person here. I pray for every person within the sound of my voice and beyond that God, as I said a moment ago, that they would recognize that their task, their responsibility, their job, Lord, what it is that you have asked them to do, that God, you're asking them and you're inviting them to join you in this great work. And Lord, with you, we are destined. For success, Lord, we are destined to prosper because if we are doing, God, what you want us to do, then nothing can thwart us, God. Nothing can stand against us. So, Lord, I pray for every person that you would bless them and encourage them in their inner man. Lord, in their inner woman. Lord, may they even now begin to be energized. And may they now be, to have the shackles, Lord, and the, and, and the trepidations, Lord, and the chains and bondages. And Lord, may they just be broken and may they be free, even now, God, to say, I want to do the will of God. I want to know God, and I want to do His will for my life, just like Nehemiah did for his. And this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you want? You know, I love to listen to, um, I like all types of music, genres of music. I'm really enjoying Toby Mack, and I enjoy listening to him. And that guy, just like he never gets old, he just, you know, he just kind of reinvents himself and just, he's one hit after another. But he's got this song, it's called Move. You, you, know, you might have heard that, you know. He said, there comes a point when you got to move, 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 move. He says it five times. I appreciate him repeating it for people like me that I can get it. And it's like, there comes a time you pray, you wait, you seek, and then you go. There's a time when you literally step out in faith and move. And that's what we're about to see with Nehemiah. So four questions. The first one is this. Are you willing to wait? 
Before you act, before you move, are you willing to wait, to wait on God, to wait on the other person? Now, as soon as I use that word wait, I mean, how many of y'all enjoy, you enjoy that like you do a root canal, amen? I mean, no, nobody enjoys waiting. Waiting is one of the most difficult, arduous, hard things, especially for some of you A-types, and you're ready to, man, you're ready for it to happen yesterday, and yet you have to wait. Nehemiah waited, watch this, four months. Can you imagine praying, oftentimes praying with fasting for four solid months? You say, where do you get that? Well, look at verse 1. He came to pass in the month of Nisan. Now, Nisan would be around March or April. In Nehemiah 1.1, it says that Nehemiah was in the 20th year, and it was the month of Kislev, and that would be the month of November, December. So now he's waited from November, December, from March to April for four months, and he has been praying, and he has been seeking God. And yet, as he prays, and as he seeks God, and waits on God, I want you to notice something very important. You might be tempted to overlook it. As he's waiting, as he's working, he's, he's not passive. He, he's not just, um, you know, living a mediocre life. I mean, he's not just going through the motions. He's doing his job, and he's doing it dutifully, and God has called him to wait, but God also simultaneously calls him to work, and that's what he's doing. He's working. One writer says his job has, quote, considerable influence, and he had constant access to the king. Don't forget the year. It's 444. He's been waiting for four entire months. How long have you been waiting? You say, well, Brother Dan, I've been waiting four minutes and I'm tired. I'm ready to, no, you, it's just going to take longer than that. Every good thing takes time. And in the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, when the timing is right, look, listen to me carefully, you will know as you're walking with God. Remember Nehemiah. Remember over the last couple of weeks, we noticed that he is a great leader already. He asks questions. He is a man of compassion and care. He is a spiritual man. Remember last week, we looked at he was connected to God. He was connected to God in the Word of God. He knew what the law said. He was connected to God in, in the Word. He was connected to God in prayer, and he was willing to go big for God. That's what we looked at last week. And so this is the next step in his incremental steps toward greatness and to his destiny. He's going to accomplish something so epic. And yet in order for him to do that, watch this, he's got to hear from God and he's got to wait on God, and then when God opens the door, he's going to go right through it. But you got to wait. I know it takes time, and you got to be dutifully employed, doing what God has called you to do in the meantime, in the process. I forgot who said it, but 80% of success is showing up. I like that. 80% of success is just showing up, young people. Go to work. Work is a good thing, you know. You know, work is a good. That's what keeps this nation alive and functioning. We work. We pay our taxes. We pay our tithes. We are dutifully employed. We get our education. We go to. And by the way, I just want you to know, those of you that work and work hard, praise God for you. I appreciate you. It may have been a long time since anybody told you, "Hey, I thank you." You say, "Well, brother Daniel, all shucks, I'm just doing my duty." Praise God. I'm glad you're doing your duty. That way, we, we can have a church, you know. I can have a job. We can turn on the lights because you work and you labor and you earn an income and you give it to the, to the Lord and you give your taxes to the country. That's how we have a country. That's what Nehemiah's doing. He's working. He's doing his job. 
Some of you, your, your chest is kind of bowing up. That's right, you know. That's right. That's right. And good job. Some of you are retired. Way to go. You made it. You know. Whew. You live to see that, that day. And I just want you to know I thank you. And while, while I'm thanking you, let me thank you for working in your church. Thank you for loving the Lord. And those of you that, that serve and give and and it's just a, it's a blessing to watch. And you may be waiting on God for some big move in your life. And you may be saying, God, I just don't know what to do right now. Well, I want to help you with that. Here's what you do. You work and you wait and you pray and you do the next thing. <laughs> just do the next thing. And that's going to involve praising God, worshiping God, waiting on God. And when it's time, God will reveal to you what he wants you to do next. I learned last week people are coming from, to our church from New Braunfels, of all places, and Fort Hood, of all places. I mean, we got people, I think that's a little bit north and south. I mean, people are coming from, from everywhere to our church, and I, I praise God for that, and I thank you for coming. And I don't know if I've told you that lately, but I want you to know I appreciate that. I praise God for you, and I'm, I'm grateful to God for those of you that work and while you are waiting. Question number two, are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to step out and risk all that you know? for the prize, for the joy, for what it is that God is calling you to. And this is in verse 2. He says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face so sad? The people that I've been reading and studying said this was a purposeful sadness. Nehemiah was sad for, for a reason. He, he knew better than to show up to work and to have a sad countenance. That is something you just did not do, especially uh, as a foreigner in a foreign land, even though you do have access and you do have close proximity to the king. Listen, when you go into the king's presence, Nehemiah, and, and in fact, the king says, you, you've never done this before. You're coming into my presence sad. You're not sick, Nehemiah. This is nothing but depression. This is nothing but a sadness of heart. And I believe in that moment, Nehemiah knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, we all can put on a show, right? Well, some of us are just really good liars on Sunday. How you doing? Fine. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm falling apart. You know, my marriage is on the rocks. You know, my, my kids are giving me such a hard time. My job, I don't know if I'm going to have a job, but I'm doing fine. Everything is lovely. And, and it's not. And Nehemiah goes into the, into the king's presence, and he's, he's showing it with his face. Not all is well. I want to tell you something. That's a huge risk. That's a big risk. One writer put it this way. He says, he is risking dissatisfying the king. A servant was never to let his negative emotions to show before the king. This author says, to do so might jeopardize his position. Okay, watch this. It might jeopardize his occupation or it may even cost him his life. Nehemiah knew that his request was a bold request. And so he is sad in the present. Hey guys, the waiting is over. There was a time to pray. There was a time to wait. There was a time to hear, of, hear from God. God has spoken. Nehemiah, go and rebuild that wall around Jerusalem. But Nehemiah, you cannot go unless you have the favor and the blessing of the king. But I could just see Nehemiah talking to God, but God, wait a minute. You know who this guy is. 
this guy has already vetoed the rebuilding of the wall once, and God, you want me to go back? God, you want me to go to my neighbor and witness to him again? God, you want me to step out and go on a mission trip? God, you want me to actually start tithing? God, what in the world? And God says, it's time to quit talking to me about it. It's time to do it. Are you willing to risk? Nehemiah is risking his life. You may have to risk your reputation. Oh, you're one of them? <laughs> oh, my word. You're one of those people that go to church all the time and you're, you're inviting me to, hey, you, yes, I am. I, I'm one of those. And, and you're, you're risking your reputation. Hey, some of you may need to risk your occupation. You mean to some of you need to take a stand. Something's not going right in your job. You need to stand up. And when you do, it's going to cost you. Are you willing to do it? Am I willing to risk? Am I willing to do what I think God wants me to do with you? Am I willing to say, listen, to be, to be quiet, to be comfortable, to be safe, that, that, comes very, that comes very naturally to me. But to take a risk or to step out and say, God, unless you meet me here and unless, God, you show up, I will incredibly fall and I will fail. And I know, church, that's hard for us. But God kind of likes that. <laughs> he kind of likes it when we are on the edge and we're stepping out and trusting him and, and believing him. And I'm telling you, when he goes into the presence of the king and his face is sad, it is a big move on the part of Nehemiah. Are you willing to take a risk? Question number three. Are you ready to ask? Now, my questions have moved from the volition, are you willing... To the action-oriented, are you ready? Did you catch that? Let me say it again. I've moved from the volition, are you willing? Now we're actually getting into the task-oriented, are you, are you ready to do these things? First of all, are you ready to ask? And it says here, then, verse 3, that he said to the king, in verse 3, may the king live forever. And by the way, it's, that's an honorable thing. That is the way you approach a king. You compliment him and you say, may, may you have a long tenure of reign. Bless you, king, and I'm honoring you. And by the way, you get a lot more from people with honey than you do vinegar, okay? Okay. Instead of saying, hello, king, you know, I, you're probably not going to like what I'm about to ask. And by the way, I don't think you're doing such a great job after all leading this kingdom. But here's, here's what I'm going to ask. Don't, don't do that. That's just ignoramus. You don't, you don't go into somebody's presence when you need something. And you've got to have tact. You need to have diplomacy. You need to have humility. And Nehemiah says, long live the king. I honor you, king. Now I need to ask you something. <laughs> Here it is. Why should my face not be sad? Now, listen, guys, he's talking to Artaxerxes. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, it lies waste and the gates, and they are burned with fire? One writer says, Nehemiah's request no doubt touched the sentiments of the king. He carefully avoided using the name Jerusalem. He didn't want to mention Jerusalem because that was too hot of a political word, much like it is today. We're thinking about moving our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and people up in firestorm. There's just something about that name. There's something about that place. It was politically hot then. It's politically hot today. It'll be politically hot when Jesus comes again. 
It's just something special. The Bible says to pray for the peace and the prosperity of one city and one really city only. If all of us are going to pray, it's that city, Jerusalem. And so he doesn't mention her by name because he doesn't want to push it. He's he's out there on a limb, but he goes, hey, would you let me go and go to Judah? And this writer goes on to say that he is exhibiting great ability and communication. Nehemiah has delicate diplomacy. He first had to get the king's sympathy before going on to the details, end of quote. So here he is stating his case, and he is prepared, guys, for four months. For four months, Nehemiah, I think he's been rehearsing this speech. I, I, I think that he's, he just knows that it's, that it's time to ask. And when the king presents this opportunity for him, he does not want to drop the ball. He has one opportunity in the game. He's going to get the ball, and he's going to run. He doesn't want to fumble, okay? He he doesn't want to blow this opportunity. And so I think he's carefully crafted what he was going to say. And if, if you read it carefully, he'll say things like, he appeals to the emotion of the king. My father's tombs, and they're lying waste, and the gates of my city are burned with fire. And so this is supposed to touch the sentiments and the heart of this king, and it was incredibly effective. And Nehemiah, he asked. Ask. Here's what Jesus said about asking. Jesus said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And then Jesus gives us a promise. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, they find. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Some of us are reticent because of two reasons. We don't want to ask because either we're fearful or we're prideful. Let let, let me me look at these with you for just a moment. We don't want want to ask because we're we're fearful. We're fearful of what? Why don't you ask her out on a date? You're fearful of what? Of rejection. She's going to say no. Why are you fearful to ask your neighbor, why don't you go with me to church, or can I come and, and meet you with coffee and just talk to you about spiritual things? The reason we don't ask is because we're fearful. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power and love and a sound mind. But that the truth be known, Nehemiah, praise God, he's stepping out. He, he, he's, he's slaying this hideous monster of fear, okay? And he is asking. Some of you do need to ask her out, by the way. You're never going to get married unless you date her, okay? So you need to step out and, and you need to ask. Some of you need to ask for a promotion, Some of you need to ask for a raise. Some of you are going, you do not know my employer. You do not know my environment. Well, use common sense and pray, but some of you, you literally ought to ask. Ask, Jesus said, and and Jesus also says, and it's according to my name and my will, I'll give it to you. I'll grant. Here's what I think. I think Bruce Wilkerson is right. I think when we die and go to heaven, there's going to be all these unopened presents, and we're going to say, what is that? And God's like, well, that was what I wanted to give you, but you never asked. Dude, I want to ask. I want to ask God. I want to ask for his favor and his, and his blessing. The second one is pride, right? We're not going to ask because we're too proud to ask. Well, I'll just let them ask me. <laughs> They're not going to ask you, you know. You need to ask them. Well, well, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm very important. I'm very special. And, and they just, they'll come around and, and they'll, they'll ask me, don't be so proud. Just humble yourself and ask God. 
The, listen, the, the, the worst thing they can say is no. He may say maybe, and God just, oftentimes, he says yes. And that's what we're about to see here with Nehemiah. He is about to ask. All right, here's the last point I want to make with you today, and it's this. Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to respond? Are you ready to act? Are you ready to get involved? Are you ready to come off the bench and get in the game, all right? Are you ready? Here it is in verse 4. Then the king said to me, well, what, what do you want, Nehemiah? And I love this part. He, he said, so, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He ran a risk of being sad and asking for so much, right? But his convictions and his burdens were heavier than the risk of asking. His convictions and his burdens were so heavy. And so the, the king says, well, what do you want? What, what, are you, what are you asking of me? And so Nehemiah says, so I pray to the God of heaven. One writer says, Nehemiah was accustomed to these telegraph prayers. And the reason he could ask these emergency prayers was because he had been praying for four months, praying and fasting, seeking, seeking God. Another writer puts it this way, says, Nehemiah had prayed for months, but he knew he was completely dependent on God's work in the king's heart at this moment. And so he's asking, and now the king asks him, well, what, what do you want me to do for you? And then Nehemiah gives this response, and it's beautiful. It's in verse 5, and that's as far as we're going to be able to get today. And he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Not Jerusalem, right? That's where he's going, but he's being... He's being quite ingenious here. He's being careful in how he asks it. Let me go to Judah, rebuild my father's tombs, and let me go back to my homeland. You know, this week I, I read something that was, I thought was really interesting. It's very biblical. And, and I felt in, in, inclined to include it in the preparation. And uh, now I'm going to give it to you in the presentation. I had somebody say one time, if God is in the preparation, God will be in the presentation. And it's kind of like with Nehemiah. If God was in the preparation of him rehearsing this prayer and getting this, this request right before the king, then God will give him the tact and the ability to deliver it, and, and he does, as you see it. And this writer says this, There are three statements in Scripture that have a calming effect on me whenever I get nervous and I want to rush ahead of God. The first text is this, and this is Exodus 14, 13, which says, Stand still and see the salvation of our God. There comes a time before the action. I mean, before you get into the nitty-gritty of the details, before you get involved, you have to stand still, he says, and see God. Number two, he said in Ruth 3.18, sit still until you know how the matter will turn out. Stand still, sit still, and then Psalm 46.10, be still. I think Nehemiah's done all of that. I think he stood still, sat still, prayed still. I think he has been dutifully employed. I think he's gone to work every day, showed up at old dark 30 or whenever it was the king wanted a little sip of wine. Whenever he, he was his every beck and call, and Nehemiah says, yes, sir, private Nehemiah reporting to duty, sir. He's doing 
He's doing what God wants him to do. He's being faithful to the king. He's working hard, but he's praying hard. He's getting ready because he knows God is going to ask him to go and do something great. And he's, he doesn't have to hesitate. He doesn't stutter. And he just gives this verbal request. He says, oh, king, I am ready. Let me go. Let me go and rebuild my decimated land. And then this writer goes on to say, but when you wait on the Lord in prayer, you're not wasting your time. You're investing your time. God is preparing both you and your circumstances so that his purposes will be accomplished. However, listen to this, however, when the right time comes for us to act, we dare not delay. End of quote. We dare not delay. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come sheepishly and very timidly and cowardly. No. What does it say in 4.16? It says, let us therefore come. How many? What? Boldly to the throne of God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Watch this. For four months, Nehemiah has been going in the presence of the heavenly king. And he is making his requests known. And then when it comes time to go into the presence of the earthly king, it's a piece of cake. Because when you're right with him and you're talking with him and everything is, is going good between you and God, the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. And so it's, listen, I think that's one of the reasons we don't share our faith and we don't get bold with God and go big for God. It's because we're not spending that time. Mm, let me tell you something. You spend time with Jesus every morning. The Holy Spirit of God fills you, and he emboldens you, and you go and you live the Christian life. But that's the only way that happens, is if we're in the presence of God, then we're empowered to live and request in the presence of man. So I've been thinking about this story. I couldn't wait to share it with you because I think it's going to help some of you like it surely helped me and it gave me this sense of confidence and boldness and I hope it encourages you. I'd never heard of this manager before. Leo Duraker, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, D-U-R-O-C-H-E-R. -E he was a manager in the Major League Baseball and he's the one that I never, I never knew who said this, but he was the one who said, nice guys finish last. And he believed that. And Leo was, he was a tough cookie. I mean, he was old school. He was get in your face and none of this encouragement and just, you know, you're pitiful, you stink, you need to go back to the minor leagues. What's wrong with you? Why would your mama ever have you, young man? Y'all know those people? Don't they just bless your heart? Don't you just love to be around those people? I don't. And Leo Durker, he didn't have many friends. He didn't really care. He's just like, come on, boys, get the job done. What is your problem? But something happened to him, and he changed. And it's a good thing he did, because had he not changed, we have never heard of Willie Mays. Willie Mays was playing for the San Francisco Giants, and Leo Durker was his manager. Willie Mays went one for 26 at bat. Now, that's kind of like my average when I played Little League Baseball. I, I mean, I just could not hit that ball. I mean, I just would see it, it'd go by. And it would be over. I mean, or he'd throw me a curve, and I'd be swinging way out here. And Willie Mays, one of the greatest of all time, he was 20 years of age. He was a rookie. He's, he's on the precipice, right? 
What is he going to do with his life? He goes one for 26. He goes into the manager's office and he's weeping. He's crying, right? And he goes, sir, would you please put me on the bench? I'm terrible. I stink. I'm not doing very good. And the old Leo Durker would have said, you're exactly right. You reprobate. You're pitiful. And just go on back to the minor leagues. We would have never heard of Willie Mays. But Leo Durker had changed. His heart had changed. And he said something that changed the life of Willie Mays. And it it spoke to my heart so much. And here's what he said. He said, Willie, I almost get emotional when I say this. He said, listen to me, young man. I don't care if you don't get another hit the rest of the year. You're my center fielder. It changed his life. Willie Mays said, did I hear you right? He said, yes, you did. I don't care if you don't get another hit the rest of the year. You're my center fielder. Now get back in the lineup and go do what you know you can do. Well, the rest is history, friends. He gets back in the lineup, and he starts smashing that ball. And most every person who's familiar with baseball has heard the name of Willie Mays. And I almost... I wonder if God does not say that to us sometimes. Nancy, I wonder if God's not saying that to you. I know times are hard, and I, and I know it looks difficult, but you're my woman. You're my man. Student, you are mine. God says, you are mine. And I don't, I don't care. I mean, I've forgiven you for what you've done. Look what you can do. Now get out there. You cannot fail because I am with you. Wow. Who needs to hear that? I needed to hear that. Man, I'm on the precipice. almost said a little, but actually a lot. I'm about to step out in faith to try to lead our church to do something very different, to change the name of the church, to plan another church, Stuart. We're going to do this. By God's empowering grace, we're going to do it. And eventually, we're actually going to change the worship times of our church coming in the fall. And then I'll be out of a job. Amen? That's, that's what happens. <laughs> no, but it's like God says, <laughs> you be, be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. And don't worry about your job. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll put you somewhere else if I need to. Or I will, I will do whatever I need to do with you. Listen, I like this word about this missionary. He said, God didn't call me to come out. He just called me to go in. God called me to go. He never, he, he never told me to leave. So he said, go and do what I'm leading you to do. And so I'm just not smart enough to put all this together with Nehemiah and me and ministry and church or you and your leadership position. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And he goes, Are you willing to wait? Yes, I am. Are you willing to take a risk? I hope you are. Are you willing to ask? Ask of me, and I will grant it to you. And now, are you willing to respond? And I don't know about you, but I didn't have a dad like this, but I want to be a dad like this who says, it's okay. And I am for you, I am with you, and it's going to be okay. Go and let and go and do great things that God wants you to do. Because I believe in you. I support you. So let's bow our heads and let's have our time of prayer and invitation. And 
And I pray that God has spoken to you as he has spoken to me, and he continues to speak to me in this, in this message and in this book. And maybe you're here today and you would say, well, I tell you, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of in, I'm, I'm just close. I'm just really close to stepping out in faith and trusting God for this or trusting God for that. Well, I want to come alongside you today. And I just want to nudge you a little closer toward heaven, if you'd allow me. Just to kind of give you a, a gentle push, a gentle nudge toward, yes, God is not against you. God is for you. And if God is in it, you will succeed. You, you, you will prosper. But be like a Nehemiah and trust God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He, he watches over his own. He cannot fail. He, he must prevail. So you have faith in God and have faith in God. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, well, I believe God is leading me here. I believe God wants me to be a part of his kingdom, and I'm ready to step out in repentance and faith and trust him. Let me invite you to do that today. I would not delay. I would encourage you this very moment. Some of you are here today, and you've accepted the Lord. You believe in the Lord, and yet there's something missing in your life. You have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and God is calling you to that. And God is inviting you. He's drawing you to this, and and everything within you says, I don't want to do that. And yet God is saying, it's right, it's biblical, I even did it. So I invite you to do that. Come, be a part of our church, be a part of what God is doing here. And then there's some of you, praise God for you. You're, you're dangerous. You're, you're listening to God, you've waited on God, and man, you're ready. You're ready to go big for God, and I want to encourage you in that. Father, I pray in the name Above every name, Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to empower those people, those very ones, God, that are here today, God, and they're ready to be obedient to you, to do whatever it is, God, you're asking them to do. And so, Lord, I also pray that you would draw, draw by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I certainly can't. Lord, no music can, no sermon can. Only the Spirit of God can draw a cold heart toward God and warm it by the Spirit's fire and then anoint it and fill it and use it for the glory of Jesus. And that's what I'm praying, God. I'm praying that would happen in every soul, in every spirit, in every heart here today. Lord, we love you. We're trusting in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.